2: Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at South Africa and its battle against corruption, which took a dramatic turn this week with former President Jacob Zuma called to testify before a commission of inquiry. Joining me on the line from Johannesburg is our correspondent Joseph Cottrell and here in the studio, Africa editor David Pilling. David, first of all, could you give us the background? This inquiry is into this idea of state capture, the role of some businessmen called the Guptas. How's it come to this?
0: Well, for a long time, there's been this notion of state capture, which is really a South African phrase, or it's become a kind of motif in South Africa, really a term that denotes mass corruption, the hollowing out of some of South Africa's most important institutions, and the idea that they've been kind of sold to the highest bidder, including the family you mentioned, the Guptas, who were very close to Jacob Zuma when he was president. This, in the sense of the moment that everyone's been waiting for, there's been ongoing testimony from various people who are involved or who are accused or who have. Evidence, But this is really the man who is said to be at the centre, the fulcrum, the man who in a sense is alleged to have sold the presidency and really sent South Africa, which was already having many difficulties, really kind of sent it on a very difficult path of low growth, corruption, loss of faith in the ANC and in government. And therefore, a lot hangs on this inquiry, doesn't it? I mean, it's not just
2: about making sure that justice was done. To some extent, the hopes of President Ramaphosa to correct the course of South
0: Africa, to
2: some extent, do they hang on this inquiry working out?
0: To some extent, yes. I mean, I think there are two things. I mean, one is this idea that people who were involved should be punished. Jacob Zuma has been dodging what some people would say as justice, what he would say as persecution for more than a decade. Those who think that Zuma is guilty, those who think that he is at the centre of something that has corroded the whole South African dream, think that unless he is somehow punished, then we won't be able to move on. Then there's also, of course, the kind of evidence that is presented the evidence that is needed to root out corruption from within the ANC, and it goes very deep according to most accounts, and evidence that's really needed for Ramaphosa to get a grip on the party and to turn it in the direction that he has claimed he wants to turn it into in his electioneering.
2: So Joseph, this week the Commission of Inquiry reaches a very important stage with President Zuma called to testify. How did that go?
3: It started with classic Jacob Zuma, a very Barrera performance, as he opened his testimony and gave his side of the story. He said three things. Firstly, his enemies in the African National Congress are spies. They are saying all of these things about the Guptas because foreign spy agencies, which he didn't name, but were implied to be the CIA and others, instructed them to do so. And just to finish off, he said people are trying to kill him. People have sent suicide bombers, quote-unquote, after him. People are trying to poison him. So it was very dramatic. But since then, in the days that have followed, he's deflated a bit as we've got into the nuts and bolts of the inquiry's questioning. The inquiry has put to him specific allegations. Civil servant X said, you told them to do Y about the Guptas. You know, Minister Z made this claim. And Zuma's response has been, I don't know. I can't remember.
2: Right. And this conspiratorial stuff that he's used, is there a ready audience for it in South Africa? Do you think many people will be listening to him? And does he still have a phalanx of support who can maybe prevent him being brought down by all this?
3: Outside South Africa and in most of the South African population, this does sound absolutely mad. He's going back to allegations that date from the 1990s that the ANC was infiltrated by foreign spies. Zoom himself was a former spy master in the ANC. He claims to have lists of enemies who are spies. It does sound like it comes from a thriller. But there is an audience in the ANC. It's not big, but it does exist. People who do believe there is outside interference in South African and ANC politics. And will buy that narrative that this is persecution imposed by external forces, which Zuma has not named. But in terms of picking away at the credibility of the inquiry and picking away at the credibility of Ramaphosa's cleanup effort, it works to create that kind of disinformation.
0: And David, well, there are people, I think, within the ANC whose fates are tied up with Jacob Zuma. So they're not necessarily people who believe in him. I'm sure there are in the wider population, especially in KwaZulu-Natal. But within the ANC, there are people who depend on Zuma's version of events prevailing, because otherwise they're next. And I think that's quite important, because you've got this fight within the ANC. And remember, Ramaphosa only just won the presidency. So you have this fight between these different elements. And they've not been able to root out by any means all the people who were pretty much involved in state capture. Some of them still hold high office. If you look at the ANC network throughout the provinces of South Africa, they're kind of riddled with people who somehow benefited from a lot of what was going on. And so there's a lot of stake. And they're able to fight back to some extent, aren't they? And they've been able to chuck allegations at the finance minister, Praveen Gordon, and so on. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you have this kind of war of words and this war of parallel realities. It's important to note that there is very clear documentation that backs up a lot of these allegations, even though some of the investigative services were themselves compromised. For example, the Protector General, Thule Madoncella came out with a report With names, dates, places, the Financial Times itself reported a story where the then finance minister was offered a bag of money to take over the finance ministry and do various things that would have been of benefit to people connected to this sort of state capture network. So, I mean, there's quite a few smoking guns there, but there's also the possibility, especially, I think, in the world that we live in today, of a counterfactual narrative that can be built up. And if people are vested in that narrative, then it's easy to believe it. If their fortunes, if their jobs depend on it, then, of course, they'll believe it and back it. Right. And,
2: Joseph, how is, in broader terms, the Ramaphosa effort to right South Africa, to put it back on the right track, How's it going?
3: 18 months ago, I think people would have been talking about Rama about this sense that just the mere fact of having someone else in the presidency would unleash foreign investment and bring back South African companies to invest at home as well. That is not going well. The economy is skirting with recession. There are very bad numbers at the beginning of this year. It's going to take a long time just because of the extent of the rot. Just to take one example, Eskom... The power monopoly, which generates nearly all of the country's electricity, has just been through a very bad patch of quite severe blackouts, which have obviously done the economy no favours. As David said, that is a smoking gun, one of the biggest in terms of corruption under Zuma's rule. But Ramaphosa's team has been very, very slow to restructure and put ESCOM back on a better footing. So that sense of urgency that was there a year and a half ago or when Zuma was removed from power, that is dissipating.
2: And is that because President Ramaphosa, the obstacles he faces are larger than he imagined? I mean, how bad was the situation he inherited?
3: Actually, we can go back to something a former minister said at the inquiry about state capture itself, which is don't over-Zumanize it. Don't make it all about Jacob Zuma. This was a much bigger network than one president, there are much more alleged perpetrators than the Guptas. So to root that out of the ANC will be a big effort. It does involve overhauling the tax collection agency, the national prosecutor, even the public protector, which David mentioned, had fought against corruption in Zuma, That has allegedly been captured by the quote-unquote fight back. So It's not like things are going all in one way towards reform. It's a real kind of dirty institutional fight. So, yes, it's not all about Jacob Zuma's legacy.
2: So let's just finish by looking at the future, both of the ANC itself and of South Africa. David, I mean, I suppose the background is that it's not all about a battle within the ANC. The ANC, the Party of Liberation, the Party of Mandela, has been losing popularity and there are rivals. Do you think this is, in a way, a last chance for the ANC And if they fail, what replaces them?
0: Well, I think in a sense, it is a last chance. I mean, you've seen its popularity slide. I think they won 57% in this election, 57 or 58. And it would have been much lower had it not been for the Ramaphoria effect that Joseph referred to. There is disillusion in the ANC as a kind of typical liberation party, which, of course, it never was seen as. It was seen as this great transformer of the rainbow nation but it's unfortunately, in many people's eyes, gone the way of other post-independence liberation movements, got a monopoly on power and therefore abused its power. The one thing you're seeing is the, the South African economy, which had been growing before Jacob Zuma at 5 and 6% a year, at least giving some room to do some of the social changes that the ANC has promised to do and is the legacy of apartheid that does need to be addressed. But with no growth or with recession, There's just nothing to play with. And in the end, I think, unless the ANC can sort out its internal divisions, stamp out corruption, at least to a certain extent, and get the economy moving again, then we will proceed at one pace or another in one direction. And that will be that the ANC's majority will slip below 50%, will move into coalition government. I don't think we're going to lose the ANC in power for quite a long time. But you can see the ANC's total monopoly on power Fading. And in some people's eyes, that would be no bad thing. But some of the political forces, I mean, there are liberal democratic forces, but there are also more left wing, more nationalist forces led by Malema and so on who might profit, yeah? There are both. You know, there's a party to the right of the ANC which believes in much more free market, liberal economy of the sort that might be recognizable, say, in Europe. But there's also a party that basically says that the liberation movement in 1994 has been betrayed that is rallying around questions like nationalisation of land or expropriation of land without compensation – Because the truth of South Africa, the big truth that's lurking behind all of this is that the disparity of income between the largely white population, but with now a black middle class that has prospered on the one side, and then a great divide with the rest of the black population that has really been left behind and is almost as far behind as it was under apartheid. That's the background and that's the social pressure that is behind a lot of this in which the ANC in its internal struggles and in its moral corrosion, is really unable to address.
2: And Joseph, to finish, the last time I was in South Africa, one did hear a lot of this phrase, state capture, but also some people were muttering about state failure, the sense that if this couldn't be turned around, South Africa was really in quite serious trouble and its status as the most advanced economy in Africa was under threat.
3: As we speak, the army has been deployed in South Africa's Western Cape, where Cape Town is because of crime being so bad in townships around South Africa's second city so as an indicator of failure versus capture I think that's a fair point to make you know state capture focused on major state companies it focused on the finance ministry you know the very top of the state in terms of allegedly diverting resources to people like the Guptas But from below all of those issues, David has just been talking about basic service delivery, water, electricity, I mentioned ESCOM. Those indicators are all flagging as well. I mean, look, at the end of the day, South Africa's infrastructure is miles ahead of many countries on the continent, and it remains so. But this sense of urgency that was there 18 months ago about undoing not only state capture, but also bringing economic stagnation to an end under Ramaphosa... That message has got lost a bit uh, amid the continued infighting in the ANC. So that risk of failure still exists.
2: Okay. well, we'll have to leave it there for now. But thank you very much indeed to Joseph Cottrell in South Africa, to David Pilling here in the studio in London. That's it for this week.
1: Until next week, goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do,